Welcome to the Phil Nason Show, brought to you by PlayUp Sportsbook. PlayUp welcomes all bettors and offers the best prices on the market. They are also proud to be an official betting partner of the New Jersey Devils. Check them out online or in the App Store and see for yourself why PlayUp is your best bet. You're listening to a pre-recorded edition of the Phil Nason Show. The Phil Nason Show. Download us at your favorite podcast catcher, including iTunes, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, or Google Play, and please leave a review. You can follow Phil on social media at Cash with Flash and like our Facebook show page. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Phil Nason Show. Welcome to the Phil Nason Show. I'm excited to have you here. We'll be here for as long as it takes, and I have a great show planned for you today. PlayUp Sportsbook presents the Phil Nason Show. Head on over to playup.com, sign up for an account, and find out why PlayUp is always your best bet. Clive Bixby is brave enough to come back for a second appearance, and he's on the line. What's happening, dude? Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, looking forward to it. Oh, man, it's my pleasure. You know what? We had some uh, interesting questions from last week's show, so let's just get right into it because I know it's close to when we have to go back to work for our our betting stuff. But you had mentioned the top-down strategy that you mentioned also that you heard that on on the Be Better Betters podcast hosted by professional sports better Spanky. And a lot of listeners, not just one or two, wanted us to talk more about that and how it can help them. So fire away, partner. All right. The way I would describe the top-down approach, it's with the assumption that the market that you are betting into is efficient. So if we're talking about the NBA as an example, uh, you think that whatever that closing line is, is an accurate representation of what that 50-50 split will be, you know, if you were to play the game over and over and over again, where there's equal expectation on the underdog side as in the favorite side. So when when you're working with a top-down approach, what you're basically looking at is you are looking at all of the different sports books in the marketplace and watching their line moves. And then you're operating with the assumption that, one, lines move from sharp bettors, not public betting, mostly. It's sharp bettors who are respected and profiled by whatever book they are at. And when one book moves, often many books follow. So what you're thinking is, can I get a better price than what I think the market will end up at? based on X, Y, and Z book moving their lines. So, I mean, that's a very, very short overall, I guess, uh, overview Mm -hmm. uh, of what the top-down approach looks like. And then you also have market moves that are based on injury news. Like today there was a bunch of stuff in the NBA where a couple people ended up questionable. Kyle Lowry's out again. Um, once those announcements hit, you will also see line moves at those key books to account for the value of that player. So between people moving the market early in the day, injury news, and then where the line is going to settle, 
the idea is you want to have as much closing line value as you could possibly get. Um, what do you think, Phil? Uh, what can I go into more detail on there? I think that's pretty good. You know, um, there's a lot of things that go into that, though. Uh, yes. th- if you want to take advantage of that system, and Spanky does this very well, he has a huge staff, by the way, you have to be on top of that information. Actually, you want to know that injury information before the line moves. And he has guys like that. I think the most important thing, too, to remember is that you have to make some investments, not just your time, because you're going to have to sit in front of that screen all day watching those numbers move. Mm-hmm. But also financially, because you're going to need a betting screen, an odd screen, something like Don Best provides or someone similar to that. So you have everything in front of you and you can watch all the various books, all the sports books, all the line movements and correlate them alongside the information that you've gathered via your people with injuries or whatever or a benching or you never know. All sorts of things can happen. And that's how they do it. Yeah. And then every time a line moves at one of the major market makers, that's information. Now, it's hard to understand sometimes why that line's moving. So the people that do the best with a top down approach understand the why is behind the line moves. And it's not always what you think. Um, you know, one consideration might be, and you see this in, in college basketball a little bit, when the limits are at their lowest. You can make a bet at a certain book or two or three that might move the line. And that line will move often at many, many other books and you are moving that line for a cheap price. So yeah, I always, um, and this is what I learned early on going through that top down approach and just trying to understand the market. Um, I started then creating my own ideas and and positions on where I think a game would end up. And that's when I started creating my own lines and trying to understand that piece of it so that when something happened contrary to what I believed was where the market should go, I avoided it. So you can't follow every line move blindly and expect just to start printing money. It doesn't work that way. So that was just one cautionary piece of advice I wanted to give to the listeners. And that's a very important one, too. And that's not to um, say that people like Spanky and others issue handicappers because they don't. They have handicappers also. But they use that as a gauge. The handi- their handicappers as a gauge. But they're also assuming, like you correctly said, that the line is right and now we have to find the best value and beat the closing value, closing Vegas line, or as you see a lot on Twitter, CLV. Now, that's not to be confused with the bottom-up approach, which is all about setting your own lines and then looking for mistakes. That's a different thing. I think that the I think that a lot of people, successful people, have a combination of both. Um, like I I know for a fact most sports betters or professional ones they set their own power rankings, so they're handicapping to some extent. But there is value if you figure it out. Now, how long did it take you to figure this whole top-down approach? Uh, so I really started, honestly, last NBA and college basketball season. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it was a lot of hours of studying line moves and understanding um, which books follow and when, um, which are leaders in terms of, of setting lines and which are, are trailers in terms of, you know, being reactionary as opposed to being proactive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it took me a little while. Uh, it's not an easy thing to get, but once you learn it and learn the dynamics, it's definitely a useful tool to have in the toolbox because it's difficult to handicap a sport. The ground up approach or the bottoms up approach is, is not easy. And if you want to truly be one of the best at that, you're really not able to, it's difficult and time consuming to do that for multiple sports. If you take the top down approach, it's like you and Spanky has said something to this effect. I'm going to paraphrase. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like you have all of the best handicappers in the world working for you. And as you see them make bets that are respected and move lines in certain directions, you're getting and using that information to make a bet somewhere else. That's a very good way to put that too. Now I'm more of a bottom up guy because I like the handicapping process. I've been doing it since I was a little kid. So I enjoy that. But that being said, I'm transitioning over to the other side, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's real simple. I think it's a lot easier to just assume that the line is correct and then look for mistakes based on the information provided to you throughout the day and then making a sound decision when it comes time to pull the trigger. And I think there's a lot of merit to it. But like you said, there's a lot of studying involved. Now, which sports books do you follow? Um, what times of the day are these guys making bets? Like, I heard a story when I was in Vegas in regards to college basketball betting that if you don't bet the line by 7 a.m. Eastern, you're going to get the third or fourth version of it because there are guys hammering that line around 5, 6 a.m. So you have to really study, right? You, you spent a lot of time doing that before you decided this was your approach, correct? Yeah. What happened was uh, as I started getting you know, I, the term that's thrown around is, is head faked. As I was getting <laughs> head faked a little bit, I was trying to understand, all right, well, if I know what goes into these lines a little bit more, if I can almost reverse engineer um, what a value of a team is and what their perception of that team is in the market, I could be a little bit more efficient in, in what I'm doing. Um, the other thing with the top-down approach is, and you mentioned this briefly earlier, you're in front of the screen for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. So the benefit of having a bottoms-up approach and being comfortable enough to take a position, that means that you're willing to make a bet and and leave it and move on with your day. That's one of the benefits of developing that kind of approach. So um, there's definitely pros and cons to each. Uh, if you can somehow incorporate both and still be profitable and get down the amount of money you want on a bet, I think that's ideal. Oh, yeah. The most important thing is you want is winning at the end of the day and getting the best value. You know, and that's important. I don't want to sit. I do sit in front of my screen most of the day, but I don't want to necessarily look at numbers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I like to read beat writers. I like to spend time doing that. I like to watch press conferences from coaches. And sometimes they give you nuggets whether they realize they're doing so or not. And I enjoy that part of it. But the best part of the bottom-up is what you said. I can wake up in the morning and handicap that game and, and make a make a call like 
95% of the time by 10 o'clock in the morning. But then there's those times where I've done it and an injury comes out late in the day. You know, college basketball, they don't generally announce them with any type of regularity or with any type of consistency. And that's baked into their rules, and we understand that. The NBA, the same. So you can get burned, but that's the price you pay for getting some part of your day back. Yes, yeah. Um, you might get that less you also might get that less efficient line too. Uh, um, or I'm sorry, not less efficient. Um, you might not get the best price you're looking to get. Right, right. That happens all the time because when I send out, and I'm not doing uh, selling picks any longer. I stopped yeah, on March 1st. I have some things going on in my professional life. I've been called back to uh, tennis, so to speak. I'll get into all that. You already know. But for the general public, I just, I'm not doing it. I won't have the time to do it. Plus, I just don't feel like I want to do that anymore. It's a lot of work, and quite frankly, I think we can better serve people with these kind of podcasts, you know, make some picks on the show, whatever, but uh, at the end of the day, you really want to make sure whatever approach you choose benefits you, okay? No one can tell you how to spend your day better than you, or I'm sorry, or your spouse can do that too. Um, <laughs> but you understand what I mean, right? Uh-huh. And you have to understand the differences between the several different type of betting strategies and what fits into your day, what you can give the most time to, and stick with it. You know, that's that's my best advice. Totally agree. I think that's pretty good. Now, we have another one. And we've talked about this often. Even when we're just talking about games, we talk about this indirectly. And that's pitfalls of new sports bettors. We have so many people out there, Clive. Well, you see it on Twitter every day. People are doing things that maybe a well-seasoned sports better or professional sports better, whatever, did when they first started but don't do any longer. So... One of the questions was, can you talk about some of those pitfalls that we can avoid? And I know you have a list. I have a list. We'll have some fun with this. Yeah. Uh, the first thing I would say is if you're a new sports better, honestly, open accounts wherever you can. Yeah. Being able to get the best price for the position that you want, those uh, half a points, sometimes full points, they add up over the long run. That is the difference often a lot of times for somebody being a loser, going from break-even to a loser, or being a, a nice-sized winner to being break-even. If you are not shopping around and getting the best price that you can for the side that you want, um, that would be first and foremost. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, how, how many outs is enough, do you think? I, I think... Infinite. Yes, infinite, yes. And that requires funding. You have to fund those accounts. You can't just, hey, PlayUp has this account, has six and a half points for the Bulls tonight. Now I have to sign up for an account. And by the time you finish, that line's going to move. Yeah, that line could be gone, especially especially if you're working from a top-down approach. If you if that's you know the route that you want to take, you know having as many accounts and uh, access to books is, is paramount. You have to have that. You know, one of the things that I've noticed a lot, people playing random picks 
free picks on social media. Just see the pick, play the pick. You you don't want to do that. That's something you just don't want to do. I'm not saying you shouldn't play people's picks, but I would vet them seriously. I talk about these in my books, Clive. If you're going to do this, and there's nothing wrong with that. If, if you If it gets you through the night and makes you money, hey, God bless you. Go for it. But at the end of the day, I tell people if you don't trail some or track someone for at least 60 days, and then you probably shouldn't be playing their picks. You don't have any idea what's happening from one day to the next. And, and I think it's important that you avoid that type of situation if you can. Yeah, that was either going to be my second or third, third point. <laughs> oh, you said um, we're on the same page. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And there's been a lot of back and forth on gambling Twitter the last couple of days about this topic of gambling for entertainment versus, you know, gambling to win. And I think there's room uh, in the ecosystem for all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've decided that you just want to throw a couple bucks on a game um, just to make the game a little bit more interesting and that's your MO, that's fine. Um, there are a lot of people that don't operate that way. If that is the way that, if you are operating in the sense that winning is most important, whether you're betting, you know, $5 a unit or you're betting a hundred dollars a unit or more to your point, I think you need to vet these sources that may really just be putting out picks as entertainment or, you know, with entertainment in mind, um, they may do their research, they may do their homework, but you may not know how profitable they are. That's where something like I think BetStamp is a very good tool to help identify truly who are the winning bettors and who are not. It adds a an element of accountability and transparency. Uh, so if you're going to tell people, and this goes for me as well as any of the other people that I follow that you know have track records of winning – even when I put out a pick, I tend to say, you know, please do your own research and do a little bit of homework and see if you agree with my position. I'm far from infallible. Um, so I I am not the type of person that would ever blindly tail anyone. No, I could never do it. I, I would never want to. Um, you know, and that brings up something, I, and that's this. Folks out there, there's a lot of talk, too, about sports books providing picks and having providing content. I can tell you this, this show is sponsored by play up sports book, but they buy ad space on this podcast. They don't tell me anything to do. I've known these guys for years, man. Most of them at that company are former professional sports bettors and they don't tell me what to do ever. All they ask me to do is what you hear. At the beginning of the show and at the end of the show and during the show, we bring them up. That's a lot different than, say, someone who actually is employed by a sports book telling you who to play. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't play their picks. What I'm saying to you is the same thing I would say for you to do with anyone else. Track them. Follow them. Study their picks. And when you or if you feel comfortable, then play them. But just don't play them randomly because you really don't know what the source is or what's even happening behind the scenes. You have no idea. So I, I usually avoid that whole scene. Yeah, and it depends on, uh, you know, 
what you're trying to get out of it. Is it just entertainment? Is this something that you were trying to, you know, make a couple of extra dollars at? It really depends on what your, uh, what your objective is. Uh, if your objective is to make money at this, just do your due diligence. Um, and also understand, and this is a, a separate topic that would go into probably the next thing I'm about to mention is understanding small sample sizes. Yes. Uh, a lot can happen in a 20 to 25 game stretch where somebody could go 20 and five people have won 15 straight games in, in those small samples. Um, so try to understand what's happening with that person that you're tailing in the long run. You mentioned 60 days. I don't even know if that's long enough. But okay, that's fair. Like, yeah, that's a bare minimum for me. Right. And, you know, it depends how many games they have in that sample, uh, too. You know, if they're betting four or five college basketball picks a game, or a day, rather, and you have 60 days and you have 300 picks, I think that's a starting point. I think what you could track, though, and this is where, again, I'm not trying. I Keep in mind, I get nothing from BetStamp. Um, but that's where tracking CLV is important because I would rather, gun to my head, if you were forcing me to blindly tail somebody's picks over a 300-game sample, I'll take somebody with a 3 and a 3.5% CLV that might be at a 50% win rate over the person that's at a 55% win rate that has no CLV. Right. That's exactly right. They're finding value, and they're going to lead you to value more times than not. That's a very good point. The one thing that I talk about, too, I guess in my book, so I know I do, and that's uh, betting on too many games. Now, I wrote that book, those books, I should say, with the bottom-up approach in mind, so I handicap games. It takes me generally an hour and a half to two hours per game, depending on the sport. Okay, tennis might take me 10 minutes because I know what I'm looking at. It's a little mm -hmm. different. You know what I mean? I understand what I – it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to get the right pick, of course, but I know what I'm looking at. But I didn't play in the NBA, and I didn't play Major League Baseball. So it takes me a little more time than it will for tennis in order to arrive to something that I can recommend or even play myself. So if you're if you're seeing somebody throw out 20 free picks, find out the first thing you want to find out is what is his bet his or her betting approach? What what is it? Are they top down or are they bottom up? You're either one or the other, right? Mhm. Mm and if they can't tell you the difference, you're probably not going to be around them anyway. Yeah. Um I, you'll see a lot of times with people uh giving out picks on Twitter being very anchored to trends like all right well the last six times these teams played you know this team is five and one against the spread meanwhile that could be over a span of 10 years in like the nfl where the teams don't even resemble what they were right. back then the coaching is completely different and it's do your own due diligence absolutely i completely agree do you have anything else one more. Okay, because I have one more too. Go ahead. Bankroll management. Bravo. That's that. You should be number one, right? But yeah, of course, yes. Yeah, um, and, and that's what I was getting to when I was going into variance and sample size. There's no such thing as a lock. Uh, those don't exist. Only on um, doors. 
Yeah. <laughs> and the best of, of all sports bettors are in that 55% range or so, give or take a couple on, you know, that might be above that, which is great. Um, but even at a 55% win rate, you will have losing months. Um, months. You could have 100 game sample sizes or more where you're break even. That's part of variance. So with that being said, with bankroll management, you do not want to be betting 10 to 15% of your bankroll on an NBA side, no matter who gives it to you. That's really, you are not going to have enough edge to sustain variance like that long-term. No. So protect your bankroll and keep yourself in the game. Grow it slowly. As you grow, you can use many different methods of determining what your bet size is. Um, some people believe that it's 1% or 2%. Some people use the Kelly Criterion. Um, other people you know, have a max bet of 5% of their bankroll. You know, people are different, but at least be mindful of it and think through um, why you're betting the sizes that you are. If you estimate yourself to have a bigger edge that's backed up by something, then yeah, you could bet a little bit more. But, you know, these 10 unit lock bombs on Twitter are not a good idea. No, no. And you know what else is a bad idea? Because I, I, I'm living proof of this. I did. I've done all these things. Fortunately for me, I was out in Vegas around pros who kind of helped me out a little bit. But uh, feeling invincible during a hot streak. Uh, there was. I remember when I was first legally allowed to gamble in Vegas, and I went on this baseball run. My birthday's in July, and I went on this amazing baseball run. I was playing hundred bucks at a time, right? Bang, bang, bang. I, I don't remember how many I won, but it was incredible to me, at least. And I say, you know what? I'm so hot. Why don't I triple my normal stake and see what happens? And what mm-hmm. happened is, is I went bust. Mm-hmm. That and that's okay. I, I was making lots of money. I was 21 years old. I was having fun, feeling my oats. You know, more mm-hmm. trying to be an entertainment kind of thing. You know what I mean? I'm going to show all these pro betters that this kid who's been paying attention to them since he was 18. Learn something, <laughs> and I didn't, and that all goes back to bankroll management. Don't do that. Don't fall into that trap. Stay within your bankroll requirements and guidelines, and, and don't get too happy when you're winning, and don't get too low when you're losing because both things will happen. The losing is very painful, and it can go on for a while. So you have to do what Clive says and just find a bankroll management system that works for you I think that's pretty good and don't bet when you're drinking or taking drugs don't bet intoxicated yeah that that's that's a very good one too I've learned that one too you know my 21st birthday I was playing Korean horses at midnight in Vegas <laughs> they opened up the book just for me because it was my birthday right so and I had the day off it was the summertime you don't do no tennis out there in the summer not much anyway and, and I was partying like a rock star and throwing money at these horses I never heard of on a track I'd never seen. And the next thing I know, I was like, wow, I got a bunch of dead tickets here. <laughs> 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 okay, I don't remember all those bets I made, of course. But, uh, yeah, don't do that. That's just silly, right? Yeah, you got to, you know, your your bankroll is like, you know, again, and this is if you're trying to be a, a long-term winning better. If you're trying to go into... 
um, making some kind of extra money off of this, your bankroll is your lifeblood. Yep. Um, when your bankroll's gone, and I understand that for some people, bankroll is fluid. Like people can replenish depending on you know what your life situations are, and maybe it's not so uh, rigorous and set in stone. I think it should be, but that's that's more of my philosophy than maybe somebody else's. Absolutely. Now, so another listener asked about NBA totals strategy. Do you have any set system for how to figure out NBA totals? Set system? No. Definitely not. Um, I would say what I try to do is understand what the average performance looks like for a team versus an average defense, let's say. And then I try and tweak and toggle what I think the upside is for a team when they play a certain kind of defense. So yes, there are some numbers involved. Um, I do do some calculations and things like that. Um, I think we talked about this the last time. Mm -hmm. Maybe we didn't. Um, Where I don't necessarily live and die by a model. I use a model for basically setting baselines of, of expectations versus a team. And then I'll start looking into other, some other statistics. I'll try and find some like teams that maybe they've played in the past that have similar styles. Um, and that could be, you know, who's heavily relying on three point shooting, who plays more at a fast pace versus a low pace and just try and understand. I mean, there's so many dynamics and so many stats that you could choose um, to look at, I would say you try and find what works for you that helps you get a clear picture of how you think a game is going to go and, and, and take it from there. And continuously, if you're making bets and you don't have, I guess, a a system that you're comfortable with, you know, you're going to be making assumptions of what you think is going to happen. Take those assumptions Write them down. Next day, after the game's over, go back, review box scores, review the play-by-play information for different periods in the game, and did the assumptions that you have play out? Or was it completely opposite? And then when you find the ones that consistently play out in the wrong way over and over time, you kind of realize that's a leak. And you figure out why you're thinking that way and what the counter argument is, you know, try to understand, all right, well, I keep thinking this is going to happen when I see this indicator and this indicator, but it looks like I'm wrong. Right. And then try and find, you know, the next piece. A lot of it is, you know, trial and error. Absolutely. It is. Um, for you bottom up folks, if you will, (laughs) this Mm -hmm. is what I try to do. First of all, if you're looking at stats by game, don't do that anymore. Use possessions per 100. Always go per 100 possessions. Don't worry about game totals. Per 100. Oh, and by the way, there's a, a website when Clive was talking about how to look over a game. There's a website called Popcorn Machine, and it goes and breaks everything down by who's in the game every game. It's free, and you can go over and check that out. But I always use Per 100 possessions, when I write things up, I say per game, but it's really 100 possessions. And and what I do is I take the average score of a team, and I add offensive rebounds to that. 
and then I subtract defensive rebounds, add assists, and then I take a look at the injury reports and make subtractions based on who's in or out. And that's how I come up with a team total. And then I add both teams together, and I see how close it is to what Vegas has produced. And then I go from there. It works much better in the playoffs than it does during the regular season. The playoffs, we pretty much have a general idea who's playing. Usually, if they're not crippled or with a broken leg, you'll find a guy in the NBA play during the playoffs. He has to be seriously hurt. So it works a lot better for that. But again, you're going to be spending a long time doing that every day. And it gets to be tedious. But that's my uh, formula for NBA totals. Yeah, and, and to that end, you know, once you get to the playoff time, players are going to be playing more minutes that yep. are key players. And those end-of-the-bench guys are not going to get those minutes. So that's something that you have to account for as well. So Giannis is somebody who I believe last season probably played four more minutes a game in the postseason. I don't remember correctly, completely off the top of my head. I think that's the right number. It may be three yes. minutes. Um, but that's you're now getting four more minutes of, of Giannis output versus, I don't know, Bobby Portis or Brooke Lopez, depending on, you know, what lineups they're running. Um, that's a, a big difference. And you have to understand what that net difference is. Absolutely. And also remember too, that NBA teams in the playoffs, they focus more on the defensive end of things. And so that can alter your totals too. That's why you have to take it game by game in the Mm -hmm. NBA. And, that makes it tough, and that makes it time-consuming no matter which way you decide to, uh, or however you decide to arrive at your conclusions. Now, we have one more question, and, and this is from a longtime listener, and I can tell by their language. I don't even need to know their name. I know. We all know Phil is a Rangers-Knicks fanboy. I'll explain in a second. <laughs> Clive, do you have a favorite sports team and if you do do you wager on those games okay for you new people listening to the show this show has been on online and uh, wherever else since 2007 now it's had several different changes to this place this show it's just recently been a sports betting show excuse me since it wasn't illegal for me any longer to tell you who I liked that being said, we did a lot of individual sports. We had beat writers, and I was always one of those guys, go Knicks, go Rangers. And I always think they're going to win because I'm a huge fanboy. <clears throat> sadly, though, sadly, though, some folks decided that that was what I would bet on. <laughs> and I had to make that, you know, I had to explain that that's not the case. But yes, I am a fan. And I still love it. I still love sports. Are you a fan anymore? Are you still a fan or do you have a team you support? I do. Um, in all the major sports. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Bulls in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, a Yankee fan in baseball and a Bears fan uh, in the NFL. Um, well before one of the uh, work stoppages in the NHL. And this is, you know. I, I want to say it was mid to late 90s. I was a big Ranger fan, 
And then just after one work stoppage, I never came back as a, as a major fan. And it's not a sport that I bet on a lot. But for the other three main sports, I will bet on my team and I will bet against them. Uh, not it's it's difficult to take out the emotion of that, but um, and the bias because that that comes with bias too. Um, so it's yes. if I feel like I truly have a handle on how a game is going to play out. I am comfortable betting on or against whatever team that is. Um, some people I know do it as an emotional hedge, but that's that's not for me. Um, I don't do that at all. See, that makes sense. Uh, but the difference is, is I still use my bankroll management principles. And this is another thing that happens to new sports bettors, and I'll, we'll be done in a second. The other night, the New York Rangers, and, and if you follow the Rangers, they have trouble scoring goals at times. Okay, forget about last night. That was a weird game. But Sunday night, I knew for a fact that they weren't going to score more than five and a half goals combined with the Pittsburgh Penguins. I, ha I just knew it. And unfortunately, I didn't put my money down because I have a hard and fast rule that I don't pay any more than minus 110 on a side or a total. Not going to do that. I'm not going to give up any more juice than I have to because that will kill me in the end. And that will kill you too. So if you're a newbie, you don't want to spend a, all that money on the juice. Leave it be. So I left the game alone. Of course, it finished one nothing, and uh, whatever. But I, I, I was at least happy that the Rangers won and uh, happy that I didn't wager on that because I would have been mad at myself had I had done it <laughs> because it would yeah, have broke my rule. I don't. I just won't do it. Because they get enough juice from me already. Yeah, if you are ever going to, um, and, and maybe this would have been a, another good topic for the earlier question we talked about, <clears throat> understanding and knowing what the break-even pe percentages are for each of the the pr odds prices. So know what the break-even is for minus 110, if it's minus 120, if you want to bet minus 150, if you are going to go that route on a money line or you know, a total, an alt line, know what your break-even percentages are. That's a very key piece. Minus so if, 125 is like you have to uh, have 55%. Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds about right. Because I know 110 is 52.6%. Uh, and then, let me see, minus 115 is 53, I think, or 54%. And then it and it just keeps going up, so if yep. you, it's hard to do. It's hard to profit. Great stuff today, man. Thanks for being on the show with me again. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. And if you or your listeners have any other questions, by all means, reach out. Uh, happy to talk more about this stuff. Oh, absolutely. And you can find Clive on Twitter at Clive Bixby forty one. That's capital C, capital B, and the number forty one. And that's going to wrap it up for today's show. We want to thank PlayUp for sponsoring the show. PlayUp.com, your one-stop shop for all your sports betting needs. Head on over, sign up for an account, and find out why. PlayUp is always your best bet. Betstamp.app tracks all picks made on the Phil Nason Show. Head on over, sign up for an account there, and follow us. Until next time, you all take care of yourselves. Be good, and most importantly... Ladies and gentlemen... My mother thanks you, my father thanks you, 
My sister thanks you, and I thank you. Thanks for listening to The Phil Nason Show. Download us at your favorite podcast catcher, including iTunes, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. And please leave a review. You can follow Phil on social media at Cash with Flash and like our Facebook show page.